I want to say this right now. I know it's hot, and I know that there's no breeze in there. I'm a full-figured man. I get it. That's why I'm telling you, I've said this before. If you're going to a church with a skinny preacher, you're in trouble. Because he's not thinking about lunch. Okay? He'll go long, hour. I've been thinking about lunch today since yesterday. Okay? So I'm aware that lunch is coming. But I'm aware that in the next 20 minutes, for some of you, is the most important moments of your life. So we're not going to rush but I've prayed through and I've timed it and I believe that in these next 20 minutes that the word that the Lord has for me is the word that he has given for all of us here today. And I pray that if you've been, I know, like I know these chairs are uncomfortable, we'll have a chiropractor standing by, we'll lay hands on you, lay hands on the sick, they will recover, even if it's from the chair. But if you've got your Bibles, in the book of Mark chapter eight, we've been in that book as a church family for a while. And the passage that we have just come upon is Jesus in Mark 8.34 says this, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, listen, three things, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. There are a lot of people in our culture right now, Western culture, saying, I'm going to be a disciple, but I will define what a disciple is. Just this week in the Tennessean, there was an op-ed piece written by a former CCM artist saying that, look, there's this whole revolution going on. We're Jesus people, but we cuss and we drink and we have sex. We just do it rebelliously. From their heart, they're saying that we want to be a disciple, but I want to define what being a disciple is. Jesus didn't give me room to decide what it meant to be a disciple. He says, if you deny yourself, number one, Number two, take up your cross. And number three, follow me. Anyone, any man, any woman who wants to be a disciple, that's what a disciple is. And now he didn't say it in a vacuum. He said it actually right after he healed a guy in verse 20, 25. You know the story where there's a blind man, the friends brought him to him, and it says that he spit in the ground, rubbed it in dirt, and put it in his eyes. How gross is that? The spit of Jesus. Now, some of you guys that love like BTS, the Korean pop bands, you love it if they sweat on you. I'll never wash these hands again. But that's disgusting. <laughs> spit. But here's what happened. When he says, tell me what you see, he says, I see men as trees. Did God suddenly, the God of the universe, suddenly not have the power to heal for that moment? Or was something else happening? Then, right after that, Jesus talks to Peter to the disciples, who do men say that I am? Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And he says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, the penny drops at that moment in Peter's mind. We read the Bible backwards, don't we? Because we know that Jesus died, resurrected from the dead, and is God. He didn't know that yet. And at that moment, he suddenly realizes, oh, the healings, the miracles, the thing. You're not a prophet. You're the one who sent the prophets. You're not the wise man. You're the one that sent the wise man. They're not, you don't, when Jesus speaks, you notice what he doesn't say? Thus saith the Lord. He is the Lord. He's saying, thus saith me. That's the promise. And he says, you're the Messiah. So Peter says that. And then right after that, he predicts his death. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 pulls him aside, says, no, that's not, it can't be, that can't be possible that that's what's supposed to happen. And he, it says that he rebukes Jesus. 
And I love that because when he rebuked him, it's the same word that when Jesus would rebuke Satan, I'm rebuking you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I don't know how he did it, but I rebuke you. And Jesus says, oh, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. And what he's saying in that moment is that any definition of Jesus, any definition, description of Messiah that isn't the one that Jesus himself gives is satanic. Get behind me, Satan. I think those three vignettes actually go perfectly with deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I can't. Remember, if you grew up in the 80s, we don't cuss, we don't chew, we don't hang out with girls who do. Maybe, I don't know if they do that anymore. But that's, it was all about your behavior, changing this, depriving yourself, denying yourself of, these, of all these things. But that's not the biblical definition of denying yourself. What's the best way to interpret the Bible? The Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Peter, in just a little while, is going to deny Jesus. Now think with me. He's going to deny him three times. And each of those times is, I don't know who he is. I, I, I don't know who these people are. He's denying his identity. He's denying, he's distancing himself from that identity. To deny Jesus meant to deny his identity. To deny yourself is to deny my identity. To deny who I think I am based on what culture tells me I am. Deny yourself. Our Western culture has told us that the way, every Disney movie has sung this, the best way to find your identity is to look inside. Find your desires. And that's who you are. Which assumes, number one, that those desires inside of me are not discordant. It assumes that my desires match up with each other. As a man, if you have a desire to be in a relationship with a wife and with a long-term relationship, you also have a desire for lust and for sexual deviancy. Those are both desires that are inside of you. They're discordant. Which desire do I pick? I have a desire to succeed and I have a desire to have a family. I have, these are all desires. Which one do I choose? And the big challenge is not only which one do I choose, but at which point in life do I choose it? How many of you are 15 right now, or 16, okay? Hope, think back to when you were eight or nine years old, okay? Did you make some decisions that maybe you thought, well, I wouldn't do that again, right, okay? Newsflash, someday you're gonna be 25 and you're gonna look back and say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. The desires that led me here to do that at 15, I know better now. 25 to 30-year-olds, someday, look, I know this is shocking. You're going to be my age, right? Though that face app, aging, okay, those algorithms are a lot kinder than the real world. Look at me. <laughs> You're going to look back at that age and think, man, I wish I knew then what I know now. And I can only assume that when I am as young and cool and hip as Buford DeFord, that I'm going to look back at 48 and say, man, I wish I knew then what I know now. And you know what that really is saying? That at no point in your life are you not a fool. <laughs> at no point do I know it all. And at which point do I say, these are the desires that I'm going to take? They change. They're discordant. They contradict. They change over time. And newsflash, even if you say, yeah, but I still want to choose them, I'm going to go with what's inside of me. 
If you think for a second that you're going to choose those based on what's inside of you, not based on the culture around you, I want you to know that you're still being informed by a culture. That identity is still coming from exterior, interior. Timothy Keller makes this great analogy of a man in the Bronze Age who would walk around and maybe think, you know what, I have a desire for violence, for conquering, for swords, and for conquest. And he might also have a desire for sexual freedom. Which desire does he choose? The culture says, conquest, get your sword, kick butt, take names. But the culture is informing his sexual decisions based on a whole other thing. So he might squash those, chase that, because that was the time and his culture would inform him. In our modern era, our culture is informing our decisions whether we want to admit them or not. Which one do I go with? Which desire? And will that meet for today? Oh, and by the way, which culture? Who gets to decide? Is it our culture? Is it Western culture? Is it Russian culture? Is it Chinese culture? Is it Haitian culture? Culture cannot be our guide for our identity. And that identity, he says, deny that. Now think with me. He says this. Right after someone was healed and says, I see men like trees. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9. The prophet says, who can know the heart of man? Who who can know its ways? It's deceitful above all things. Who can know your identity? Put your confidence, it says in the verses right before. Listen, put your confidence in the Lord, and he will, remember remember the blind man, I see men like trees. Put your confidence in the Lord, and you will be like a tree planted by the water. That blind man wasn't not healed, he was prophesying. He was seeing what was about to become of these men, what can become of you, which is not an identity that leaves you over and alone and by yourself. Just yesterday, we, were, uh, we had a session with a guy named Phil Herndon, and Phil was talking about trees. And what we used to believe about trees is that they're loners. They're every man and every tree for themselves. But science has proven that that is not true. That inside the root system, they're sending messages to other trees. Trees live in community with one another. They send signals of danger to each other. I see men as not a tree, trees together. Deny your identity as the lone wolf. Deny your identity as what the culture says. Deny that because you're about to step into a new identity as a tree planted by the water. And the prophet says that that identity doesn't worry about when the rain comes and when the rain goes. It's sturdy, whatever the culture says, wherever the wind blows, because it's planted by the water. Jesus spit water from the the mouth of God himself in dirt, tree planted by the water. That's the identity that he wants to give you. Deny yourself and take up your cross. This would have been shocking for them. It would have been, because keep in mind, Jesus had not yet been crucified. Right? This is like, what? Pick up your electric chair and follow me? This doesn't make any sense. But keeping in mind, he had just said to them, I am the son of God. I am the one who sent the prophets. I am the one. So when you're killing your identity, when you're going behind, understand that taking up your cross is saying that this is not a negotiation. This is God, the guy who created you, who designed you. It's not up for debate what your identity is. I'm giving it to you. Don't debate. It's not a negotiation. I'm saying take up your cross. I love that word, your. 
there. It shows a, a singularness to it, a definition. And here's why that's important in a mission conference like this. The cross that Grady has been asked to pick up and take, the one that Jennifer has been asked to take, the one that Shannon, the one that Ethan, that they're all, it's yours. So he might ask you to go to Iraq. He might ask you to go into the marketplace. But wherever he's saying for you to go, your cross, your cross goes with you. Comparing is one of the most demonic and harmful things we can do. Literally, in just the next chapter, chapter 9, the disciples start saying, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? Is it going to be Grady because he went to Iraq? Is it going to be the people in China? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. Comparing yourself and your cross is not what he wants you to do. Now, that said, deny yourself your identity. Take up your cross and follow me. If I just leave it, if Jesus just left it at take up your cross, wouldn't it seem and sound so brutal to take up your cross, take up your electric chair, take up your injection, take up your death penalty? But follow me. And where was Jesus going? He was going to the cross. He was going to resurrection, and something really jumped out at me as I was praying about this today, because it felt so heavy and so burdensome, take up your cross, deny yourself. It felt so not grace to me. But think with me, when Jesus himself carrying his cross, think with me, He's carrying his cross. He's going down the Via Dolorosa. For those of you going to Israel with me in February, you're going to walk that path. And at one point, it was too much. The weight of the world came on his shoulders, and the man, God, collapsed and fell. He couldn't bear the weight. Do you think for a second that Jesus is going to ask you to do something that he himself couldn't do? And at that moment when he fell... He looks in the feet, and there's a man named Simon of Cyrene who came and carried the cross for him. I believe with all my heart that what this means to deny yourself this identity that you're trying to own, to take up your cross, to follow him, means at some point I have to admit I can't bear the weight of this. I can't do it. I can't carry the weight of my sin. And when I fall, finally fall down under the weight of that and say I'm not, I can't go another step, the feet that we will see the feet of Jesus himself who will carry that cross for you. When I think of mission, when I think of this go into all the nations, it feels so burdensome. But when it's the cross that Jesus is custom for you to go, and then you remember that Jesus is carrying the cross for Grady, he's carrying the cross for David Christopher, that we're not meant to bear that on our own. Take up your cross, follow me. And the reminder that I'm following him to resurrection. That that identity that the culture wanted to put on me that I have to kill and leave behind, I'm following him to a resurrection. And whether it's Haiti, whether it's Guatemala, whether it's Canada, whether it's your high school teenagers, whether it is your workplace, it is a stop along the way to resurrection. And so today, we're going to sing for a few minutes and worship a little while, but while we're doing this, I wanted to make this space for you, for me, to listen this morning. What is it that Jesus would have me to go next? I love Luke's retelling because he says, 
pick up your cross daily. It's not a one and done. I got up this morning. I had to, in humility and humbleness, say, I'm taking my cross today. And then I'm going to give it to Jesus because I can't bear it on my own. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You teachers that are in the, in a, in the public school right now, I can't think of a more valuable place to take your cross and to follow him. You guys that are in the marketplace, can't think of a better place. Martin, the bearded banker, realtor, mortgage guy, that you're taking the cross with you, not just to Nepal, but to every closing that you do. Linda, you homeschooling your children, you're taking your cross, giving it to Christ, raising those children. That's your cross. That's your, Jesus is carrying it with you into that. What is it this morning that he wants you to do next? And I'm going to give you a couple of options. They may not be on your list. It might be something else. Let the Holy Spirit lead that. Not me. For sure not me. But is he tapping you on the shoulder? Some of you specifically, I do believe that I'm supposed to pursue a, a short-term or long-term mission trip. Is that you? I, I feel like I don't even know where it's supposed to go. Newsflash, when the disciples, when Jesus said, follow me, they didn't know where he was going next either. They just took the next right step with Jesus. That next right step for you is I would love for you to come down while we're singing. If you, I do, I feel like you're a teenager. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. I have no idea. That's Jesus's problem. Yours, your only responsibility is to take the next step. Is that you? You want to go to Guatemala? Do you want to go to Haiti? Do you want to go to Nepal, someplace Jesus? Do you want to go to Canada with Andrew and Glenda? They need you there too. Some of you, it's, I really, I can't go. That's not what the Lord is calling, but he's calling me to send, calling me to be a part of that financially. Those buckets, I don't know where they're going to be, Mo, or they've got them on the front and in the back. We're going to put buckets up in the front and in the back as the Lord puts it on your heart. Maybe come down and put it here in the bucket if it's a check. If it's on the phone, just conduitchurch.com. You can donate there. Is, is, that, is that part of what you're going to leave that on this stop on your way to resurrection? But I believe everybody in this room, I, I, I know everybody in this room, Jesus' invitation to you is the same one as it is to me. Deny yourself. Don't look inside for an identity that you can achieve. Look to him for an identity that you can receive. And take up that cross. Carry it and then allow the Son of God to come right beside you to carry it because he didn't expect you to do it alone. I'm going to pray for you. And as we're worshiping, you don't have to wait for me to get, if teenagers, kids, I don't, just come on down. I'll pray for you and maybe some of our missionaries can lay hands on you as the Lord is putting it on your heart. And this is that awkward thing. Someone's always got to be the first. There's a movie where I think it was Matt Damon said, it just takes 15 seconds of insane courage to take that first step. I challenge you today, take that first 15 seconds of insane courage. We want to pray for you. We'll figure out later where it is. The, the buckets are here. If that's your courage, do that. But we, whatever we do, let's not leave here without being a goer or a sender today. Jesus, Lord, I know, Holy Spirit, you are knocking on the doors of people's hearts right now. There are brothers and sisters here who are desiring. I want it. I don't know, Lord, what it is. The courage to just take the next step, which is to say yes. I'm denying myself today. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you just give that insane courage that we follow you right into resurrection. Just like Grady said. <laughs> just like Grady said. <laughs> For the well done. I can't imagine a more high five. Glorious, more glorious than that. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.